It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Welcome into Monday, November 22nd, 2021, Thanksgiving week, Feast Week on the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson, your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you don't know me, if you're new to the program, welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm political editor at townhall.com, Fox News contributor. I was on Outnumbered today on the panel for the full hour at noon Eastern. I'll be on special report tomorrow, Kennedy tonight. It's a busy few days before we all take a break and go off to Thanksgiving. Here's what we have at the program. First of all, a website, which is, of course, free of charge with all sorts of free content. GuyBensonShow.com. GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is on demand and free every day, plus individual interviews, all the ways to listen live. There's a lot there at GuyBensonShow.com. We also recommend our social media accounts at GuyBensonShow, Twitter and Instagram. Give us a follow. You can follow me personally as well if you'd like, at Guy P. Benson or at Guy Benson Show. You pick or go with both. That would be my recommendation. On today's program, Matt Finn will join us, Fox News correspondent. He's on the ground in Waukesha, Wisconsin. What a brutal few weeks it's been in the state of Wisconsin. A horrible massacre happened at a Christmas parade yesterday. We have the very latest on that case from Matt coming up later this hour. In our next hour, Howie Kurtz will be here, Fox News media analyst, host of Media Buzz, talking about the media coverage of the Rittenhouse trial. And I'll get into that with some of my own thoughts here in a moment, but I'm looking forward to having that conversation with Howie. I think it has been, you kind of want to say, one of the most egregious examples of media malpractice But you sort of feel like you say that all the time. They keep plumbing new depths in the mainstream media. And then they turn around and wonder why their audiences are dwindling away and why people don't trust them. They can't help themselves. They are that ideologically blinkered. They are that fanatically, I would say, committed to a form of activism and groupthink that is a far cry from journalism. And yet that is where they've been for quite some time, and they seem uh, almost unrepentant and indignant. You keep wondering, will there be course corrections from these people? Will they get burned enough? And the answer seems to be no. Howie Kurtz on all of that and more. Upcoming, And then in our final hour, today's happy hour, Janice Dean will be here talking about, among other things, the new report from the New York legislature on the former governor, Andrew Cuomo. We know that she feels very strongly about Cuomo and his scandals, as she should, given what her family has gone through. And this report 
in many ways, yet again, vindicates what she had been saying for month after month after month. And no one wanted to hear it, especially in the media and in Democratic politics, because Andrew Cuomo was a hero. He was a great foil against President Trump. He was great. Trump was awful. That was the story. And no matter what evidence emerged, they were sticking to it. At least as long as there was an active campaign ongoing. Once the campaign was over and their side won, then it was safe to reveal the truth about Andrew Cuomo and throw him overboard. That's how that worked. Janice Dean reflecting on the latest indictment, if you will, in our final hour today. Fox News alert as we begin. Statistics. COVID cases in the United States, 47.7 million. That's all in since the beginning of the pandemic. That's also just the official case count based on tests. We know that the number is far, far higher. The death toll, Americans who died with or of COVID, 769,769. 769769. The Dow is up 311 points right now, currently trading at 35,913. And we are, of course, less than an hour away from the close up on Wall Street. I want to bring to you something in the context of Kyle Rittenhouse and his acquittals on Friday. We reacted to that breaking news on the Friday edition of the program. We had Annie McCarthy here. We had all sorts of analysis. And some of the reaction that we got, broadly speaking, from people in the press, journalists, and then, of course, a bunch of lefty activists, and sometimes it's virtually impossible to tell those groups apart, and then just sort of the bandwagoners. Let me pause on that for a second because you have the committed people who are out there who are hyper-political, hyper-ideological, and they feel like they want to make a change or a difference in the world. And in many cases, they're not going to allow little details such as factual information deter them from what they know, quote-unquote, to be a larger, more important truth. The media has fed into a lot of the misinformation that has swirled around this case dating all the way back to the riots in Kenosha, which precipitated the whole series of events that left two people dead and Kyle Rittenhouse acquitted. But when you separate out the journalists who are doing a bad job in many cases and the activists who are aggressively lying, you have the bandwagoners, people who are kind of quasi-woke, people who want a virtue signal about inequity or whatever term they would use in society, discrimination, flaws in the system. Some of these people are probably well-meaning. And it is fair to say that our system is not perfect. Our country's not perfect. Racism doesn't, you know, didn't just disappear. It is still a, an existing and poisonous influence in our society. I would say less so than ever before. But that doesn't mean it's gone. It doesn't mean that we can't continue to strive to improve, right? I will grant all of those points. But I also think that there is an active effort to overcorrect in terms of looking back at our flaws, past and present, 
and paint the country as, if you want to call it exceptional, just in the other way, like American exceptionalism in our evil, American exceptionalism in how racist and unfair this country is. And a lot of people are being told to believe that. And I think it's a giant lie. I think it's a tremendously damaging lie. And some of these people just to signal out and send a sign to their friends or their peer group or whatever that they're on board for whatever this project is, they will just throw up on their Instagram stories or whatever a quick little statement to check a box based on something that they feel like you know is wrong even if they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Like I'm going to tell you over the weekend I saw just scrolling through Instagram stories like you know I was on the train or I was on the plane and bored and clicking through you got a bunch of people with these half-baked half-assed statements about the Rittenhouse verdict and how this is just a reflection on how horrible we are making it about race, taking all of their cues from these cultural tastemakers who are rushing out with bad information, misinformation, to claim that the case was about something that it wasn't, to get lots of details wrong, like aggressively, almost proudly wrong. And if you push anyone on this stuff, they just kind of shrug like there's a truth larger than the facts that they're pursuing. And it's just a bunch of weirdos and right-wingers who might want details to be correct. And just the stuff was so paint-by-numbers lazy. Like, oh, we're all mad about this thing today. I haven't really paid attention, but this is a rotten place, so it must be what these influencers say it is, and I have to make sure that I say something about it so people know that I'm a good person. And that's what they did. And look, sometimes there are grave injustices. Sometimes there are terrible things with a racial component, like the Ahmad Arbery case, for example, that's ongoing. It's hard for me to take you seriously, maybe impossible, for me to take you seriously in the future when you can't even be bothered to get factual information correct on a case that you are nevertheless blasting out to your whole social media footprint a bunch of emotionalist nonsense. Right? If you're going to do that on one case, then you are forfeiting in some ways your ability to be taken seriously as a thoughtful person in other circumstances. Because to me, circumstances matter very much. Trials like this are not, and I made this point on TV earlier, they are not giant morality plays. We look through the prism of larger narratives that we want to satisfy and we just shuffle off the details as if they're kind of secondary, tertiary, irrelevant because there's something else that we want to make a point about or whatever. That is not how we should interact with cases like this or trials. The facts of each individual case are what matter. And one individual case should not determine or indict or vindicate our system or our, or our country 
as a whole, especially not if you've got the information wrong. Like how many times have we seen from these celebrities, from other prominent people with large followings, from actual journalistic institutions, supposedly with layers of editors and all of that, and trickling down to just, you know, the average basic person tweeting or posting misinformation on their social media feeds. How often have we heard that the initial riots last summer in Kenosha were based on the police killing an unarmed black man? Which is not what happened. Jacob Blake, in that case, was not unarmed and he was not killed. And yet that made it into news stories. How many times did people think or just assume that the people who died, having been shot by Kyle Rittenhouse, were black? If you knew nothing about the case other than some of the preening and the, the, you know, the bigger picture narrative, you might be forgiven for assuming that they were black based on the way everyone was talking about this as a racial case. It made it into news stories. It made it into press releases from universities talking about the beautiful black bodies that were killed by Kyle Rittenhouse. They were white dudes who attacked him. Hence self-defense being the argument and hence the acquittal. You've got people like with hagiography tributes to the fallen. Perhaps they have not done much research or any at all into who these people were, why they were shot and what their rap sheet looked like. And finally, I will make this point, and I wrote about it today at townhall.com, with all the media coverage surrounding Rittenhouse, much of it terrible, on the same day that the verdict came down, Friday, this past Friday, with everyone riveted to Rittenhouse with their massive thermonuclear takes immediately, again, based on a lot of garbage that's flying around out there, on that exact same day, there was a case in Florida where there was a black defendant who was acquitted on murder and attempted murder charges in a shootout with police because he successfully claimed self-defense in that case. He and his attorneys argued self-defense. This is a black defendant in a shootout with cops, and he was found not guilty on murder and attempted murder because of the right to self-defense and the burden of proof for the prosecutors. I know that doesn't fit the capital N narrative, about race and justice in this country, but that happened in Florida last Friday. And in Missouri, same day last Friday, there was a white police officer who had shot and killed a black suspect in Missouri. That judgment came down on Friday as well, and that officer was convicted. I know people want to take a distortion based on profound ignorance on Kyle Rittenhouse and then project all of their thoughts and emotions and feelings onto the whole country based on their warped view of this one trial. Meanwhile, they have no idea about the other two cases. Had you heard of them until I just talked about them? They had no idea that that stuff happened on the very same day. The media didn't cover it. Those were not national stories. It's not part of the narrative. So when you're relying on extremely flawed information and flat-out misinformation to prove your narrative while totally unaware of countervailing facts and other cases that challenge that narrative, 
perhaps your narrative is wrong. Kyle Rittenhouse speaking out for the first time outside of the courtroom tonight with Tucker Carlson at 8 p.m. Eastern. We will give you a preview of what he has to say in that interview when we come back. It's The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I tell everybody there what happened. I said I had to do it. I, just, I was just attacked. I was dizzy. I was vomiting. I, I couldn't breathe. I'm Guy Benson. That is the voice of Kyle Rittenhouse. In an exclusive sit-down interview with Tucker Carlson tonight on Fox News Channel 8 p.m. Eastern. And this is the first time that we have heard from the now acquitted Mr. Rittenhouse since that verdict came down on Friday. He also had this to say with Tucker Cut 20. This case has nothing to do with race. Um, it never had anything to do with race. It had to do with the right to self-defense. Right. Um, I'm not a racist person. I support the BLM movement. I support peacefully demonstrating. And I believe there needs to be change. I believe there's a lot of prosecutorial misconduct, not just in my case, but in other cases. And it's just amazing to see how, how much a prosecutor can take advantage of somebody. So that's making some headlines already. Rittenhouse saying that he supports the BLM movement and peaceful protest. That entire interview again airing this evening, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Now, I can understand having been relentlessly smeared as a white supremacist still, even after the acquittal, even after the facts came out, video all of it, and the jury made their decision, you still have people with national platforms calling him a white supremacist and a murderer and all this stuff. So I understand why he wants to get his own voice out there beyond just his testimony and give his side of things. I also feel like what Andy McCarthy said on Friday on this show, our friend and our colleague here, talking about moving forward in the weeks to come, Rittenhouse, his advice was to go and try to live a normal life. You got a second shot at all of this. Go live your life and don't become a political football or a political pawn. I think that's good advice. I hope Rittenhouse takes it at some point here in the coming days. We'll go to Waukesha, Wisconsin after this. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It's the Guy Benson Show on this Monday. Thank you for listening. I'm Guy Benson. Our website, GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is free every day. Well, it was a very difficult day again in Wisconsin yesterday. 
estate still reeling from the Rittenhouse trial and everything that led up to it suffered another shock to the system when a man driving an SUV plowed that SUV into a parade, a Christmas parade, killing five so far. Hopefully, that's as high as the death toll rises and injuring dozens more. As of this afternoon, 18 children had gone to a local children's hospital. Ten of them were sent to the ICU, six in critical condition. Law enforcement held a press conference just about two hours ago, and they revealed more about what they are learning regarding the person of interest in this case who is in custody. On the ground in Waukesha is Matt Finn, Fox News national correspondent. And Matt, what an awful story to be covering, especially on a week like this ahead of Thanksgiving. What can you tell us and what did we glean from the press conference today with officials? Well, Guy, sadly, police have identified the five people killed. Uh, They age and range from 52 to 81 years old, four of them women. So imagine your grandmother, your mother, your aunt, you know, bringing in the holiday season uh, as part of a parade. Uh, There was a group of dancing grannies, as they're called, and now some of them are dead. And just days before Thanksgiving, there are families here right now that are probably praying and pleading that their child survives, pulled out of the critical condition. And just to set the scene for you, Waukesha, Wisconsin is a charming, beautiful downtown, Main Street, USA, little shops and cafes, well manicured. A lot of the windows are prepared for the holidays and Christmas. It's hard to wrap your mind around what just happened here. And I was walking uh, up the exact parade route on Main Street, and some of the sidewalks are still stained red. And police have now identified who they say was the alleged driver uh, who plowed through the Waukesha Christmas Parade, 39-year-old Daryl E. Brooks. Uh, He has a lengthy, extensive criminal history that we're still reading through uh, and pouring through. Uh, They say he was the alleged driver and was just released, posted $1,000 bail last Friday on charges that he in part intentionally ran over the mother of his child with his vehicle. Police records read in part that officers observed swelling to her lip and dry blood on her face and tire tracks on her left pants leg. And that just raises so many questions about why a man who is seemingly a dangerous criminal, a convicted criminal, was released on such a light bond guy. And who had just used, allegedly, his car to attack someone else. And that's not the first attack. It, as you reference, is one of many over the course of 22 years, a career criminal, really, dating back to 1999, a number of uh, violent assaults. He's a registered sex offender in another state. I mean, this is a shockingly dangerous person who was released on $1,000 bail. And then he drove his SUV into a Christmas parade, leaving devastation and death and maimed people in his wake. Do we have any idea at all about what happened here, why it happened? I know part of the argument has been that perhaps he was involved in yet another violent altercation of some sort earlier in the day and might have been trying to escape 
that scene, but that wouldn't necessarily translate into mowing people down at a Christmas parade where eyewitnesses, some of them say it looked absolutely intentional on his part. I know the law enforcement uh, officials on the ground there have been reluctant to call this deliberate or terrorism or anything like that. He has been charged with five counts of murder or will be charged with five counts of murder, at least here. Do we know much about what may have brought about this massacre? Yeah, a short while ago, police say that they were responding uh, to a report of domestic disturbance uh, and that he did flee that scene. They clarified that there was no pursuit, but, you know, by the time they got to the scene, he was gone. Uh, And then the video shows, some of the video I've seen, shows this red SUV apparently very intentionally driving through, you know, some barricades and then very intentionally driving, you know, through this parade. One of the eyewitnesses said he did not stop. He drove from one end of the block to the next. It appeared very intentional. Uh, Police are clarifying that they think this was not an act of terror. But as you piece this together, police are basically... Uh, portraying that they responded to an incident and he fled and then somehow found his way here on Main Street in Kenosha. Five people dead, dozens injured. Yeah, and it would take some intentionality on his part to choose that street to drive on, right? If you're trying to get away with as much haste as possible, what you don't do is crash through barricades and mow people down. You try to get the hell away from people. And that is not what he did, obviously. And now there are multiple fatalities. Here in Cut 3 is a quick montage of some of the eyewitnesses on the scene describing the carnage in Cut 3. Listen here. At first I heard it was one person got hit. Then I heard they fell to a dance team. Then I heard they fell to the whole parade. I feel like I'm watching a movie and it's not real life because I've never seen anything this bad before. And then it was a silent. Everyone was in shock. And then everyone started screaming. The, the image that keeps going through my head is the car going through the girls. And the only reason why I didn't break down is because I had the other kids around me that I knew that if I panicked, they panicked. Just awful to hear that, Matt. What are you hearing from residents of Waukesha today whose entire holiday season, Thanksgiving and beyond, have just been rocked by this unbelievable and seemingly senseless and quite possibly avoidable tragedy? Well, the downtown quarter right now uh, is eerily silent. A lot of the businesses are closed. Um, There are a few people, you know, walking by just to take a look. But, you know, the mayor said, you know, uh, our parade can be described as a Norman Rockwell type of event uh, that has been going on for generations. And last night, that event became the scene of a tragedy and of a nightmare. Uh, And I think out of the mayor's mouth, that represents how so many people feel here. You know, and it goes without saying that this uh, we're you know, kind of inching close towards the uh, end of a post-COVID world. This was the first parade uh, since the beginning of the pandemic that canceled last year. So people were gathering in person again. They were shopping in person again, you know, preparing to bring in the holidays. And this nightmare event happened. And you wonder how you can recover from seeing your own child be mowed down by a car, seeing your grandmother, 81-year-old woman, uh, be struck by a car and killed. So I can only imagine uh, the unbelievable anguish and grief that people are going through in this town and across America and the world as their loved ones or friends find out about the names of the victims. Yep. Five dead, dozens injured, including right now, based on our last report, six children in critical condition 
in ICUs, and our hearts just go out and pour out for that community are just so unbelievably sad and infuriating. And if you're the praying type, I think Waukesha, Wisconsin, the state of Wisconsin, uh, can use your prayers tonight. Matt Finn, Fox News national correspondent here on The Guy Benson Show, covering it all on the ground in Waukesha. Matt, thank you. Thank you. I want to give a few of my thoughts on this because it seemed like in some of the initial reporting, and I touched on this a bit there in that conversation with Matt, some of the initial reporting seemed to be congealing into a storyline that this was, you know, a career criminal who was involved, I guess, in some kind of a knife-involved altercation or some sort of a knife fight, and he then fled the scene, and in fleeing the scene, this horrible thing happened, which kind of would suggest it was all a terrible accident, right? Maybe a bad guy trying to get away from another bad thing that he did, but this was not necessarily terrorism or whatever you want to call it, an an intentional or deliberate mass murder. We don't know what the motive was. We don't know what was going through this man's head. Daryl Brooks is uh, the name here, allegedly, of the guy who did this. But almost immediately, my antenna went up. It didn't make sense to me. All right, if you're trying to get away, you try to find the least crowded route Right To go as far away as you possibly can if you're, what, afraid of getting caught or the police chasing you down. There was no pursuit. That information that Matt relayed to us, courtesy of the authorities there. So a few things here just don't really add up. And then there were witnesses who were at this parade who said, well, yeah, he broke through the barricades. Right, That's, to me... Red flag number one, you don't break through barricades when you can just make a right-hand turn or a left-hand turn or go select an alternate route. You see a crowd of people, you try to get away from them if this was all just a terrible accident. Instead, he hurtled, driving at high velocity towards the crowds of people, towards the parade, through the barricades. And again, some of the witnesses said it looked like he was intentionally hitting some of these people, right? He was sort of driving off to the side. You've seen the video. The video is horrible. A tiny little girl just barely gets missed. He's driving way too fast under any circumstances, especially with just civilians everywhere. And then at some point, he just drives right through and over people. Not a few. He didn't clip someone. We're talking about 45 people. 45. So, you know, whether he woke up that morning deciding that he was going to go do a great deal of harm to as many people as possible, I don't know. But I think to rule out any motives at this point or to rule out intentional, murderous criminality— is way premature. And I didn't really understand why so many people were running with, oh, maybe just a misunderstanding and fleeing from another thing and isn't this just a terrible accident? I have some theories of why some people, especially in the press, might try to do that. 
often when there's a terrible thing that happens in our society. A bunch of folks just wait on pins and needles to see if they can blame the sorts of people that they want to blame. And if they can, they do it with gusto. And if they can't, they kind of make it go away. All of a sudden, it becomes a local news story as opposed to a national tragedy. And I think once the suspect's name and race and rap sheet started to come out, it seemed like some folks who had all sorts of racial thoughts when it comes to Kyle Rittenhouse based on nothing, baselessly, we talked about it at the top of the show, once this wasn't uh, you know, an angry white dude, then their attention and interest diminished in the value of this story from their political perspective. That is part of the mentality here, and it doesn't just exist on the left or just exist on the right. I think that is one of the sicknesses ailing America right now. This is almost like a hunger among some to instantly exploit a tragedy or an outrage of some sort to attack the other entire groups of people, political parties, whatever it's going to be. But just to me, oh, this was all a big mistake that ended tragically, did not make sense at first blush. I think it makes less and less sense now, especially because, as Matt reported to us, this alleged suspect was just out on bond, $1,000 of bail, that's it. From a previous incident just a few weeks ago this month where he tried to run the mother of his child over with the car. He's used the car as a weapon before, is the reporting here. To me, that is a very significant piece of information. And not just in his distant past, just in the last few weeks. You add that to the eyewitness testimony and the number of victims and what had to have happened for the toll to get that high. And I am highly, highly skeptical of uh, any explanation of this that features an accident. And it looks like the charges, at least the initial uh, description of the charges, reflects my suspicion and my skepticism. And here's another point. Go back, and it's now being widely reported, go back and read the incredibly long list of crimes that this man has committed in his life. Since 1999, I think that was his first arrest. Strangulation, multiple assaults, illegal possession of a firearm from a felon. He's a sex offender in another state. It's just on and on it goes. And of course, the assault on this woman. How does someone like that Like, how many strikes do you get? I'm not necessarily in favor of three strikes laws in the way that they are designed. I think that is not always just. However, how many strikes do you get? Like, if you're on strike 17 of this at bat, that's this guy's life, and you have harmed and committed crimes over and over and over and over and over again for 20 years— Then you commit another one. Then you get out for $1,000. 
and you use the same weapon from your last crime to go kill five people and injure dozens more, that seems like a disgusting failure of the system. And I know it's all the rage bail reform, progressive areas and bail reform and equity and all of that. I think some people in communities affected by recidivism are starting to grow increasingly concerned about their own safety based on these equitable so-called criminal justice reforms. And I'm in favor of some criminal justice reform. This makes absolutely no sense to me. This is a crime and an outrage and a failing of the system. And there are going to be some hard questions to be asked and answered in the coming days. If some of this information pans out as it continues to come in and develop. It's the Guy Benson Show. We will return right after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. 58 years ago today, Walter Cronkite announcing the death of President Kennedy, who was shot in Dallas. A formative news event for many people. I'm sure many of you listening right now can remember exactly where you were when you heard that news. It's been almost six decades. Not the most cheerful hour ever on The Guy Benson Show. A lot of heavy news, but we had to get to all of it. Much more still to come. Our middle hour upcoming. Stay with us. It is The Guy Benson Show. From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Our middle hour is here on the Guy Benson Show. New broadcast week. Thanks for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is always free. Fox News Alert. The Dow closes up, but not by much. Closing up 17 points. It was up when we came on the air, what, 250 points in the green. So clearly a sell-off at the end of the trading day. And the Dow ended today at 35,619. I want to talk about China because what China is up to continues to get worse in a lot of ways. The Chinese government the Chinese Communist Party. There has been this controversy involving one of their star tennis players who disappeared from public view for weeks after she came out and accused a top communist official in the country of sexually assaulting her. She was their former number one ranked doubles player. Earlier in November, she accused a senior government official of sexual assault and then no one heard from her for nearly three weeks. And there was an outcry in the sport, in the global sports community and beyond. And there was actually a women's tennis organization based here 
that actually stood up to China saying, we will pull all of our tournaments, all of our people out of China. We don't care if we lose a lot of money. Until we know that this woman is okay, we are taking a stand. And I hope that the NBA, for example, is taking notes. That's leadership. That's commitment to human rights and not lip service with actual beliefs and convictions taking a backseat to money and profits. Well, then there were some images of her that they started to leak, the Chinese Communist Party, right through their state media. Oh, here she is smiling. Here she is as a dinner. Look how happy she looks. Almost like a hostage footage. She did an interview with an Olympic official where she was, of course, being monitored. And she's like, oh, no, every, everything's fine. Many people, quite rightfully, don't believe it. So one question being asked, and we've asked it before, about these Olympics upcoming next year. I know that the Biden administration is reportedly preparing an, a diplomatic boycott, not a full boycott, but a diplomatic boycott. And I see both sides of the dispute. I saw Ted Cruz, for example, saying, no, we shouldn't boycott fully. Let's have our American athletes go over there and beat the commies in their own country. I get all that. People will, you know, train their entire lives, right, a great personal sacrifice to make the Olympics and to boycott the Olympics. Kind of steals an opportunity away from them at peak athletic performance. That's the other side of this, the other side of the story. However, let's talk about the flip perspective. The Chinese Communist Party has lied to the world about a deadly pandemic. They have covered up the origins of that pandemic, which has killed millions of people. They have bullied other countries and other governments for asking questions about those origins. They have manipulated and shut down investigations into those origins. That might be reason enough not to reward them with arguably the most prestigious stage on the international scene, the Olympic Games, which Beijing is set to host next year. Add on top of that all of the human rights abuses that have been going on in China for so long in Tibet, for example, and elsewhere. Add on top of that the Uyghur Muslim genocide, which is what our State Department calls it, in western China, in Xinjiang, right? The re-education camps, the concentration camps, the forced slave labor, the systemic rape, the killing, the forced sterilizations and abortions to wipe out and stamp out a religious and ethnic minority of Muslims in that part of the country. That might be unto itself enough reason for the international community to say no to Beijing 2022. What about the violation of international law in Hong Kong, a violation of an international treaty with the United Kingdom about Hong Kong autonomy, stamping out democracy in Hong Kong, arresting pro-democracy activists, shutting down newspapers and news organizations? That unto itself might be sufficient reason 
to yank the games from Beijing where the athletes can go compete somewhere else or compete under an international flag, not under our flag. And then there's the various other military provocations. The flyovers in Taiwan, the saber rattling there, other COVID-related stuff, bullying people, bullying the Aussies, for example, sending people bogus, defective PPE, crappy vaccines. I mean, this list just keeps going. Then you've got like the weird disappearance and apparent coercion of one of their top Olympic athletes simply for speaking out about an alleged rape at the hands of one of the top party cronies. She vanishes from the public eye for weeks and they trot her out there clearly under duress, at least in my opinion. I'm not alone. That's one of their athletes. Like what's it going to take? For free countries to actually say, you know what, this disgraceful farce is over. This is this is too much. It's not just one of those things. Any one of which, as I mentioned, could be a powerful argument for at least thinking about it. You add them all up and how they compound, how they build on each other. I really struggle to see how it is. That the vaunted international community and just the United States government, look, I mean, a diplomatic boycott is at least something. But is that really much of a lesson? Do you think the Chinese really care about that? No, they care about losing face and losing money. I saw this story as well, and this goes to my concern about American companies. Right In the Cold War with the Soviets, you didn't have American companies deeply invested in the Soviet Union with a bunch of money to be made or lost. But China, with their economic might, they throw it around and they use it as leverage over people. They almost use it as a form of coercion. And whether it's the National Basketball Association or Hollywood or big companies like Nike and Disney and others, you go down that list, you have people pulling punches or even actively siding with Beijing and the Chinese Communist Party in the face of Western values and international liberty, right, basic human freedoms and civil rights and civil liberties, siding with China against those values because of the financial and economic incentives. Here's the latest example. Marriott, an American hotel chain, made a decision not to host, they refused to host a conference of Uyghurs, people who had escaped China, who were trying to draw attention to the genocide against their people being perpetrated by the Chinese Communist Party, a literal genocide plus a cultural genocide. This was a group that was wanting to meet in Prague in the Czech Republic. This was the World Uyghur Congress. Chinese government had condemned them. This is from Axios, I'm reading. Chinese government, the commies, condemned the World Uyghur Congress for calling out the Chinese government. And they are attempting to rally global attention to the genocide. But this decision by Marriott, this was their location in Prague, declined to host a conference of these activists 
citing, quote, political neutrality reflects China's growing ability to extend authoritarian control beyond its borders. By making clear to corporations that crossing the party's red lines will be bad for business. And over and over again, these businesses have heard Beijing say, jump, and they respond, how high? This includes some companies that I like. I mean, I really tear into Nike and Disney all the time. They deserve it. The NBA, just the absolute cravenness and cowardness of those multimillionaires is a sight to behold. It's disgusting. But American Airlines, not just American Airlines, but United, my airline, Delta and others, China says, oh, you, you can't list Taiwan as its own country. And they changed their maps in their little in-flight magazines and on their websites. Oh, OK, sorry. We don't want to call Taiwan a country. We're going to change that. Here, clearly, there was pressure brought on Marriott. Saying you better not host this event for human rights activists calling us out for our genocide. We don't want that. Would hate to see bad things happen to your hotels in China. And the Marriott company apparently decided, yep, okay, we're going to say that this is a, we're politically neutral. It's just nonsense. There are political events and rallies and other things that happen in Hilton or in rather Marriott hotels all over the world all the time. This is one that happens to offend the totalitarian communists in Beijing, and then all of a sudden they trot out political neutrality as their excuse, their fig leaf for what is obviously a cave. I recently had, I said Hilton because Hilton was on my mind. I was for years a Hilton member, the Hilton Honors Program for my various travels. I actually switched over to Bonvoy, which is Marriott's system. And I have to say, I'm not sure I want to stick with Marriott. After this, if this is their message about what they're going to do in the face of pressure from communist China, I'm not sure I'm interested in giving them my business. My fear is, let's say I I toggle back, I go back to Hilton. Would they not do exactly the same thing? Is there any major company willing to stand up to China and take the lumps and take the consequences because it's the right thing to do? I don't know. We know that John Kerry from the Biden administration, he has been, this is reported, privately lobbying against uh, an effort by the U.S. government to sanction companies that do business in Xinjiang, which is ground zero for this slave labor internment camps, concentration camps, genocide. It had passed unanimously, but now all of a sudden it's sort of slowing down for some reason. John Kerry reportedly fighting against it because he's working with the Chinese on the climate. We don't want to anger them too much. The climate, you know, he said, that's not my lane, the human rights abuses. In fact, it is his lane because he's trying to pull U.S. policy in the wrong direction, in an anti-human rights direction, because he wants to get something done with China ideologically on the climate, just like these companies want to get something done financially, economically with their business. People can justify this all sorts of different ways. Well, climate change is too important. So let's put human rights in the backseat, even as President Biden claims that the centerpiece of his foreign policy is human rights. Nonsense. It obviously is not. Look at Afghanistan. Look at China. 
It's really disheartening. Senator Marco Rubio from Florida, just the other day, he objected to the defense bill. And here's a part of what he had to say in Cut 22 explaining why. Preserving the right to object, I, uh, what's missing from this list is our Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. In a moment, you're going to hear that it has this procedural problem, blue slip. Anyone who's not familiar with the lingo around here, that means it's, it's going to generate revenue and therefore has to originate in the House. That's what you're going to hear in a moment. Here's what's so interesting about it. About, I don't know, four, five, six weeks ago, that very bill passed by unanimous consent in this very Senate. This bill doesn't have a blue slip problem. It has a bunch of corporations who are making stuff in Xinjiang province problem. Okay, that's what the problem here. So everyone's aware, everyone here is aware, I hope, in the Xinjiang province of China, Uyghur Muslims are put into forced labor camps where they work as slaves, something that this administration in the previous term does genocide. They work as slaves making products. And there are American companies that are sourcing goods that end up in the shelves in this country. So he was objecting to the defense bill because they, I guess, stripped this provision out. Even though it was unanimously passed, he wants to put it with force of law into the defense bill, and it's being objected to because there are some corporate interests and others lobbying, so John Kerry reportedly, lobbying for it to come out. Music to China's ears. Is anyone willing to stand up? I'm tough on the NBA. There's one player who's been fabulous on this issue, Enos Cantor, the Boston Celtics, and he was tripling down, stepping up his criticism of some of his peers, including LeBron James. Wait till you hear what he said and did to LeBron James on this front. We will tell you as soon as we come back. It's the Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. I'm Guy Benson. I'm not a fan of the NBA at all. I can barely name maybe a dozen players at most, active players. I'm also not a fan of Boston sports in general. And yet, I almost want to join the Enos Cantor fan club, the center for the Boston Celtics, who has been just a one-man wrecking ball on China, speaking out forcefully and repeatedly and calling out his peers in the NBA for their unbelievable double standards and hypocrisies. They love kneeling for the anthem and doing all these things about how awful things are. Oh, oh yes, it's social justice, social justice, equity. Oh, but genocide? Well, let's not talk about that. Crushing democracy in Hong Kong? You know, there's a lot of money to be made over there. So he's been calling this out. Here's the latest. This is a few days ago, and I wanted to make sure that we brought it up here. He tweeted this. This is Enos Cantor talking about LeBron James. He had soft-pedaled his criticisms of LeBron, and clearly he's had enough, so he's sharpening them. Quote, money over morals for the quote-unquote king. LeBron calls himself the king. Money over morals for the quote-unquote king. Sad and disgusting how these athletes pretend to care about social justice, but they really do shut up and dribble when big boss China says so. Did you educate yourself about the slave labor that made your shoes? Or is that not part of your research? He's referring back to a bunch of them claiming, oh, oh we have to do more research. We're ignorant about some of this China stuff. No, no comment here. LeBron went further trying to get someone punished for criticizing China 
by supporting democracy in Hong Kong, a GM at the Houston Rockets at the time. And Enos Cantor has shoes that he's wearing, that he's had made up. One of them features an image of LeBron James getting a crown put on his head by the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party, Chairman Xi, with bags of money behind him. So LeBron's taking a knee, getting a crown on his head from Chairman Xi, with, surrounded by cash. Man, taking off the gloves. Way to go, Enos. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. We are back. It's the Guy Benson Show on this Monday. Brand new week. Glad to have you here. Halfway through the program as we are chugging toward Thanksgiving. And joining us here in studio is Howie Kurtz, host of Fox News Channel's Media Buzz every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. I was just on a few weeks ago. Also host of the hit podcast, Media Buzz Meter. Howie, good to see you again. Same here, Guy. All right. I want to talk about Rittenhouse, not how we feel about the case. I've said plenty about that. But Mm -hmm. the media coverage really starting not this week or last week, but all the way back with Jacob Blake and that incident in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which touched off so much of the unrest and rioting that then led, of course, to a culmination in this trial, even back then and to this day. That's what blows my mind. Yep. Getting things wrong at the time, bad. (laughs) Getting things wrong for a year plus, worse. And you still have media organizations Suggesting that Jacob Blake was unarmed, suggesting that – I mean there's multiple examples of factual inaccuracies, that he was killed. He wasn't killed. And yet I've seen in the last week or so statements from officials, statements put out by various institutions and actual news stories that continue to persist – in almost an aggressive wrongness, and you sort of wonder, is this ignorance with a ton of blind spots, or in some cases, is this just irresponsibility, malice? The coverage from the beginning in Kenosha has been absolutely awful. In fact, Alan Dershowitz said on my show yesterday, the worst trial coverage he has seen in his 50 years of practicing law, including OJ. Wow. And it was, you know, the guy was vilified, smeared uh, for months and months and months. Then comes the trial. Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse was vilified and smeared for months and months and months. And then comes the trial and this evidence of self-defense. And even those of us who had not been paying that much attention could see that there was a very strong case to be made that Kyle Rittenhouse shot people. I don't say he's a hero. I don't think he should have gone to Kenosha. But when when the guy he wounded pointed a gun at him, he fired back. And the testimony of the wounded man uh, confirmed that. But by far the biggest outrage here, the mind-blowing – Travesty is that since the verdict, you continue to have these liberal crusaders, people like Tiffany Cross and MSNBC calling Rittenhouse a murderous little white supremacist. We have that clip actually. Cut seven. This was on MSNBC. The fact that white supremacists roam the halls of Congress freely and celebrate this little murderous white supremacist and the fact that he gets to walk the streets freely, it lets you know these people have access to instituting uh, laws. They represent the legislative branch of this country. What are we to make of that? Howie. Well, she's not the only one. There are a lot of people out there who are invested in a certain outcome. 
and they didn't get the outcome they wanted. And they're not arguing, you know, I think the trial went off the rails here. The judge should have done this, self-defense. Not talking about any of that. They are continuing to take a guy who's now been judged by a jury of his peers to be an innocent man and to call him a murderer, to call him a racist, to call him a white supremacist. And what they're completely and totally missing, uh, and I think this, you see hints of this, uh, also in what President Biden said, if you want to get to that, is that the purpose of a criminal trial is one thing to determine the guilt or innocence of the person charged. It is not to be a vehicle for sending a message. It is not to be a part of a broader social justice movement. That's what you would want if somebody that you loved was on trial. And instead, people, uh, some of these uh, people on the left are so disappointed that they didn't get their preferred outcome that they are continuing to say awful things about this kid who I don't say is a hero, but certainly uh, a jury in Kenosha agreed unanimously that he was not guilty of any of this. I think that you've summarized it very well. What is also sort of astonishing to me, maybe it shouldn't be, but it still is, is the racial component that doesn't actually exist in the reality of the facts of this case and yet has been harped upon and hyped up by many in the media as if it is central to the case. And you actually have some of these statements being put out and even news reports that still refer to the people shot by Kyle Rittenhouse as black, when in fact they're all white. I mean, we get into a dangerous area where people get so spun up about the outcome of a trial and make sweeping indictments of our entire system, our entire country, aided and abetted by the media, where relevant details, which ought to matter, that's the whole crux of a trial, is the relevant details, they are swept aside ignored or deliberately obfuscated for the purposes of advancing some sort of broader, wider like morality play that people want to play out and discuss absent the facts. And I just feel like there's an obsession on the left and therefore in the media because it's often one and the same. The activist left and the mainstream media are peas in a pod far too much of the time. And because there's an obsession on the activist left with race – they just decide we're going to inject race into this no matter what actually happens. And don't forget the celebrity left. You know, people like Roseanne Arquette tweeting, you know, I don't want to live in a country of ignorant racists. You know, again, they're not really grappling with the trial. It's fine to criticize the trial and the way it was conducted. They're not even doing that. They're not even dealing with the self-defense aspect. And I am very grateful that cameras in the courtroom in this case were allowed because I think anybody who bothered to watch the trial, even the clips, would see that the preferred narrative was falling apart when actually the testimony was taken, the cross-examination, all that. Without that, if you're just reading newspaper accounts, I think more people would have been more shocked by the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted. Yeah, and we talked about this right after the verdict. I was on with Martha on the news channel within a few hours of the verdict being read. And I paraphrase something that one of my colleagues at townhall.com said, Julio Rosas, who was on the ground for the riots. He was, in fact, documenting some of the riots, and some of his footage ended up at the trial for Rittenhouse. He was then at the trial for Kyle Rittenhouse as well to cover that at Town Hall. And he tweeted after the verdict, and again, this is a paraphrase, if you are astounded or shocked by this verdict, you need to find better news sources. And I think – That might sound flippant or like a gotcha, but I think he's absolutely right in this case because if you watch the case as the jury did, they reached a conclusion and a lot of the people fulminating and yelling and stamping their Mm -hmm. feet and saying this is all racism and white supremacy, I would love 
for them to explain what they mean by that, if they can. What do you mean white supremacy? What evidence do you have that Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist? Why was he portrayed that way by the Biden campaign, for example? Why did President Biden initially put out a good, very short statement? That should have been the only statement. And I was disappointed in President Biden for the second written statement that said, like many Americans, I am angry and concerned about this. Why? Why? Do you think he didn't get a fair trial, Mr. President? The only thing you should have said, especially as someone who had criticized Rittenhouse in the past, is uh, we accept the jury verdict and we should all now move on. He was signaling to the progressive wing of his party that, oh, I'm angry too. I don't really like the verdict either. I'm with you. You, but that that is not a responsible position for a president to take if you believe in our system of justice. Yep. And uh, he was not alone. Of course, he's the president, so that's the biggest megaphone. But there were politicians. Some of these statements that they put out were wild. I mean, just totally divorced. Oh, Gavin Newsom said this shows you can get away with it if you're a vigilante. Well, no, it doesn't. Doesn't mean that the next the next trial would be different in different circumstances. House Judiciary Chairman uh, Jerry Nadler, we're going to have the DOJ review this. Very well, you, you don't think it's a Wisconsin jury should be able to reach a, a, a verdict after a fair trial. I mean, it's just making me cringe. And it seems like it's going to go on and on and on because the media also milking this case for its sensational aspect. So I don't think this story is over yet. I mentioned on Friday's show, the chairman of the DCCC, Democratic campaign arm, put out a statement within minutes, that talked about the unjust killing of an unarmed black man, Jacob Blake. And he was not killed and not unarmed. And that was one sentence fragment that got a lot of misinformation in. And this is, again, goes to the deep ignorance. And I don't think you can have ignorance quite that widespread without the media playing a role in fueling the ignorance. I know a lot of journalists run around hair on fire all the time having, you know, conferences in Aspen to worry about misinformation. Right, but where are the fact checkers on something like this when it's a cause promoted by the left? And, you know, I I don't shout liberal bias at every every turn, but this is an unmistakable case where most of the media were invested in a narrative and not letting the facts get in the way and not letting the verdict get in the way. And that is not journalism. That is it's something else. It's activism and it's bad, dishonest activism. So, I mean, it's like several <laughs> steps away from the job, which is why so many Americans don't trust people in many cases who are doing the job or in this case aren't doing the job. Howie, I want to ask you about this, drawing on your knowledge about journalism and how this works at media outlets. Already the discussion almost immediately, frankly, shifted from, OK, Rittenhouse not guilty on all counts. Can he now – go out and start suing some of these people, defamation suits. We saw, for example, one of the young men from Covington Catholic, he was able to reap some sort of financial reward because he was smeared Mm -hmm. by CNN and the Washington Post and others. I would say ramp that up by a multiple of 10 or 100 for Kyle Rittenhouse. What is the standard here for what would constitute defamation where there could be a viable lawsuit. It's a standard that Kyle Rittenhouse will have trouble meeting, whether whether you think morally or not he's justified to make a lot of money from this. If he were to bring these suits, first of all, he'd be considered a public figure for purposes of the trial, uh, and that would mean he'd have to prove malice. Second of all, uh, a lot of his criticism— can, can I just ask you one thing about that? Because I heard this discussion earlier on television, and I'm trying to go back to freshman year journalism school. Malice is the standard for public figures, Right. Mm-hmm. to successfully pursue mm-hmm. defamation. Does Kyle Rittenhouse count as a public figure just simply by virtue of the fact that he was a defendant? Because by any other definition, he was just 
a 17-year-old oh, kid. Oh, sure. I mean, beforehand, no. But because he became sort of, quote, famous or infamous as a result of this, I think the answer would be yes. But put that aside. Okay. Um, the, 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 the main thing here is that anybody of his critics could say, well, look, he was indicted for homicide. He did shoot three people. I was giving my opinion on the case. And most judges, I think, would give a lot of latitude. But the broader question here is, does Kyle Rittenhouse want to spend the next year or two in litigation, raising money to pay lawyers after going through this nightmare? Or might he pr- uh, prefer to resume some semblance of a normal life, if that's possible? Well, we know tonight he's sitting down for an interview with Tucker Carlson in the 8 p.m. hour on Fox News Channel. I mean, that could just be him finally speaking and telling his side of the story publicly, although he did testify at trial. Yeah. That is different, of course, than pursuing right. a, you know, a, a legal fight. And he says he's a supporter of Black Lives Matter. That ought to make some heads explode at some of the liberal channels. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how they will grapple with that because – Half their audience thinks that he just killed black people, which yeah. <laughs> that he murdered black people, which he did not do. Uh, they were white, and it wasn't murder based on the jury's decision. Precisely. Last question, Howie, about the Rittenhouse imbroglio. Last week, before we got the verdict, there was this really sort of shocking development where there was um, someone connected to MSNBC or NBC News who was cited by local police officials for – following the van filled with jurors and the explanation given and even some excuses being made by others in the media was actually this is sort of a common practice where you try to find out who the jurors are so you can go track them down post-trial for interviews because the jury verdict overshadowed all of this rightly so uh, that episode has kind of uh, gone by the wayside, but it's sort of in your wheelhouse as... I put it at the top of Media Buzz, and here's what happened. Freelance producer for MSNBC ran a red light, was trailing the jury bus, uh, and NBC put out a statement saying, well, we regret this incident, but actually he was not instructed to photograph the jurors in any way. I'm not completely buying that. He told police that it was his assignment from someone in New York to trail the jury bus. In a high-profile case like this, in a tense situation with 500 National Guardsmen on the streets of Kenosha, that would be an incredibly reckless thing to do, to take pictures of the jurors and potentially put their lives in danger. The judge was so angry, he banned MSNBC from the courthouse. Yes, the next day came the verdict and that overshadowed it all, but it was a um, really troubling incident in which uh, MSNBC didn't seem to put the put public safety first. I agree. I will also just say there have been in major trials jurors who then come forward and do interviews. That right? is an entirely different thing. And the judge said, you want to do an interview? Great. If you want to sit down with anybody you want, great. If that's your choice. But the press shouldn't hound these people, and they certainly shouldn't out them. And in most cases, you know, the jurors' names are just routinely made public. But in a a, a, a tense case like this, with so much misinformation out there, with uh, uh, with some people thinking, you know, he got off, that is not uh, something a news organization should do. Yeah, I mean, so we just did an entire segment just about the media coverage of one case because I think it encapsulates, Howie, why so many people – are disgusted by the news media because with the bright lights on and a lot of these very delicate issues potentially at play, although in this case it was just sort of invented, there, there wasn't really a racial component, they forced one into the coverage. I can't imagine in some cases media organizations and, and journalists behaving less responsibly. And therefore, I think it, it justifies a lot of the harsh things that you just said as someone who's been watching the press professionally for a long time. I'm pretty disgusted myself.
Howie Kurtz, host of Media Buzz Fox News Channel, every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, his podcast, Media Buzz Meter, foxnewspodcasts.com. Howie, have a great Thanksgiving. It's great to see you. You too, Guy. Guy Benson Show, back after this. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. It's the Guy Benson Show. Welcome back. We had a topic today on Outnumbered. I was hashtag one lucky guy in the middle virtual seat on the couch today, noon Eastern Fox News. And it was a pretty heavy show overall because it was Waukesha and the massacre there. It was Rittenhouse. Then it was crime. And one of the incidents being discussed was this mass looting incident in San Francisco over the weekend where roughly 80 people showed up in a coordinated hit. This was a deliberate, planned mob action where there were cars waiting outside, getaway cars, blocking off traffic. Dozens of people showed up at a Nordstrom's and grabbed thousands of dollars worth of merchandise and then fled. Three people were arrested. There's also footage of things like this happening in other major cities because in San Francisco and elsewhere, local, quote, law enforcement elected, that is, district attorneys, prosecutors have made decisions in the name of equity, in the name of fairness, in the name of reform or whatever, that they are going to basically decriminalize crime and therefore people react and Rather than reiterate the point that I made on Outnumbered earlier, I'll just play it. Here's what I said. Cut 33. Yeah, well, people respond to incentives, Emily, including criminals. And when you look at San Francisco, where a lot of crime has been decriminalized effectively by this district attorney, this left-wing guy out there, criminals have gotten the memo, and shoplifting and events like this are happening all the time. And I saw over the weekend that DA, who, as Kennedy pointed out, is up against now a recall effort for obvious reasons. He put out a tweet expressing how horrified and outraged he was by this. And there was just a a torrent of people responding accurately. No, you don't get to be offended by this. You caused this. Your incentive structure caused this. And now he's trying to backpedal and get tough on crime because he's up against a recall. Uh, The results of his actions and other left-wing DAs around the country speak for themselves, and I think most Americans look at these types of images and are disgusted. I know I am. And now this guy of all people, imagine the stones it takes to show up. Oh, I'm shocked, shocked that this happened. You did this. We'll see how that recall goes. Maybe it'll be better than the Gavin Newsom recall out there. Do they have any limits in the Bay Area of San Francisco? We'll find out. That's a few months from now. The Guy Benson Show continues our final hour. Janice Dean starts us off straight ahead. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the Happy Hour on the Guy Benson Show, Monday here, holiday week. Glad to have you along. I'm Guy Benson. Our website, GuyBensonShow.com. 
Podcast is there every day for free. GuyBensonShow.com, all the other goodies that you might want about the program available. Also, I'll remind you that the happy hour is sponsored, as always, by our friends at the Finnish Long Drink. We just got an epic shipment of long drink at the house ahead of the Christmas party coming up in the coming weeks. And I told Adam, we've got to keep it in the boxes. Like we're not opening even the cardboard boxes because we don't, we don't want to start drinking it yet. We have to save it for the guests for the Christmas party. TheLongDrink.com is the website. TheLongDrink.com. You can find out where it's sold near you. You can order online. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only, please. We now welcome back to the program Janice Dean, senior meteorologist at Fox News, New York Times bestselling author, most recently of Make Your Own Sunshine, inspiring stories of people who find light in dark times. And Janice, it's great to have you back here. Thanks for making some time Thanksgiving week for us. I appreciate your willpower in not drinking uh, the beverages that you're going to serve (laughs) at your Christmas party. Well, in all (laughs) fairness, we... Well, don't give me too much credit, though, Janice, because we actually have a mini fridge that currently already, before the new shipment had, gosh, I would say still maybe two dozen cans of long drink. So we can work on that over Thanksgiving, but we are not touching the new shipment because we want to make sure that our guests have the opportunity to try it. And so it's a balance, maybe some willpower, but not all that much required. Okay, I, I appreciate that then, because I wouldn't be able to have the willpower. <laughs> no, I, I I really love that you were giving me credit. I just feel like for full disclosure, to do intellectual honesty, which is what we try to achieve on this show, I just wanted to make that clear so I didn't get fact-checked. I get fact-checked from, like, my husband, right? Like, he'd tweet or something that I was uh, not being fully transparent about the opportunities to consume long drink, and the audience knows uh, that we're fans of it in our house. Janice, I do want to ask you about Thanksgiving and traditions and fun stuff, but first, a new report put out by the New York legislature seems to confirm a lot of things that you've been saying for a long time about the various malfeasances of the former governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo. Here are the bullet points that I'll just read On the summary letter that was sent to the Speaker of the State Assembly, bullet point one, former Governor Cuomo engaged in multiple instances of sexual harassment, including by creating a hostile work environment and engaging in sexual misconduct. Bullet point two, former Governor Cuomo utilized state resources and property, including work by executive chamber staff to write, publish and promote his book regarding his handling of the COVID-19 crisis, a project for which he was guaranteed at least $5.2 million in personal profit, and at the same time, bullet point three, was not fully transparent regarding the number of nursing home residents who died as a result of COVID-19. Janice, on one hand, this is yet another vindication of what you've been saying for so long, and allegations for which you were attacked sometimes in very personal terms from the governor's office. However, at the same time, that last bullet point, which really goes to the crux of your problem with the former governor, understandably so, the nursing home scandal, the cover-up, to say that he was not, quote, fully transparent about the numbers of deaths 
is about the most ginger and kind phrasing I can imagine, given what he did and given the aggressive lying and cover up that he was a part of. Right. And the evidence is showing that he started covering up those numbers when he was selling his five point one million dollar book. So there was motivation for him to not be transparent with the nursing home numbers, which is something that I have been wanting to know uh, the answers for for many, you know, for at least a year and a half now. Uh, The fact that he wasn't counting those that died in the hospital, like my mother-in-law. She got COVID in her assisted living residence. She was transported to the hospital where she died, and her number did not count. So they were miscalculating the numbers purposely by at least 50%. And, you know, we got some of that vindication when when Tish James came out with her report last Mm -hmm. January saying that she also agreed that he was covering up those numbers. But now we're getting, you know, real evidence, black and white evidence, that he withheld nursing home data. Page 41 in uh, 2020, DOH's Dr. Zucker tried to give true death numbers to the legislature, but the executive chamber never authorized releasing that letter. If that is not damning, I don't know what is it. Well, I mean, that's obviously part of the crucial term here, a cover-up. And I'd also add, because the nursing home deaths and seniors who passed away and changing the way those were counted to undercount that number while you're trying to sell a book about how great you are on COVID and then lying every step of the way, that's all extremely bad. And I would say worthy of a resignation or an impeachment unto itself. Of course, he resigned mostly due to the sexual harassment allegations that are extremely credible and have been found credible by everyone who's looked at it. But let's not lose sight of the fact, Janice, that as soon as the new governor took over, within days, they updated their overall death count in New York State from COVID because they had been undercounting that larger pot of deaths as well. I mean, it's just like almost on every layer of this, There was corruption and misdirection from Cuomo, and we also cannot lose sight of the fact that until this all started to unravel after the election, even though there were warning signs and revelations before the 2020 election, Democrats were worshiping this guy. Joe Biden called him essentially a hero, a model for the country. He put him in prime time at the Democratic convention on the issue of covid. They were lifting him up even as there were all these whispers about his personal conduct and actual concrete evidence about the lying on the COVID deaths and the manipulation of data and the hiding of data. But while he was still politically useful, all of that was basically ignored by the people who call the shots. And only after Joe Biden was safely elected did the governor of New York become politically expendable and then under the bus he went. To me, that is part of this story that can never be forgotten because that's another form of corruption, frankly, in my view. Well, absolutely. They covered up big time for him, most of the mainstream media. You know, he was doing these puff pieces on People magazine and he was going on his brother's show joking about, you know, COVID tests when he was clearly getting his own COVID tests from the governor when nursing homes couldn't get them to test incoming patients. I mean, there's yep, so many level, levels. Yes, 
levels of corruption and, you know, and frankly, criminality. And one of the assembly members just came out, Charles Levine. He's, he's a Democrat. He said not only were these offenses impeachable, some of this conduct is arguably criminal. And the fact that they've released this report guy and not gone through with the impeachment makes me furious as well. So it's almost like, okay, here's what we did. Here's all the research. And and we spent, by the way, $5 million taxpayer dollars to do this impeachment report. But you know what? Because he resigned, we're not going to impeach him. I mean, it, it really is. He goes down in history as one of the most corrupt uh, awful leaders of New York State, if not the country, but yet they won't impeach the guy. Uh, so that's that's also very frustrating. And I, you know, I understand the news cycle right now. There's a lot of other big stories that that deserve yep. your attention. But please don't forget, we have lost over 15,000 seniors in New York City that no one, except a few, seem to care about. Why not? Why don't you care, Assembly members? Why don't you release? all of the information and continue your investigation into the impeachment. And why isn't he being impeached so that he can never run for office again? Yeah, it's a crowded news cycle, as you point out. But we wanted to protect some time, some prime time on this show for you to come on to talk about this, because it's one of those things that we have not let go and will not let go. It's personal to you, but you're speaking on behalf of many others who also have a loss that they are still dealing with, and there'll be people not at Thanksgiving later this week because of some of these actions and because of the information that was covered up for political reasons. Now, Janice, the one thing that has to still feel kind of validating, despite the frustration that you were just articulating, I loved your tweet earlier this morning, everything we have been yelling about for a year and a half about Andrew Cuomo has been proven true. Everything. To which our mutual friend, Mary Catherine Ham, responded on Twitter, Janice Dean, a credible source on the weather and much more, which is a nice shot back across the bow of one of the Cuomo spokespeople who had taken a cheap shot at you. So I just wanted to make sure that you knew still that we have your back and we are glad to see that the people who called you crazy and obsessed have to eat some crow. Whether that's enough accountability and resignation is sufficient, and that's a separate question. Janice, if you don't mind, I would like to pivot at the end of this interview here because it is the happy hour just to talk about Thanksgiving. And if there are any traditions in your family that are unique or unusual uh, that you guys do every year at Thanksgiving because it's a huge one in my house. It's my favorite holiday, and I love just hearing from some of our guests what they – love about this holiday? Well, you know, it's tough, right? Because we are going to remember those that we lost, you know, that's, that's going to be hard. But what I remember the most about Thanksgiving is being grateful. And what I've learned over my 51 years on this earth is, you know, no matter what we go through, sometimes the challenges that we go through in life make us even more grateful if that's, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's possible. And I believe it's true because you go through hard times, but then you realize the most important people that you have in your life, those are, you know, those are what you need to be grateful and thankful for. So when I look around the Thanksgiving table this year, uh, it's just going to be the four of us, myself, Sean, and my two boys. I will be tremendously grateful for them because 
they're all I need, right? It's it's nice to have a great job, which I'm grateful for, and it's nice to have, you know, a roof over our heads and 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 amazing food at the table and football on the television set. But when it comes right down to it, it's it's your relationships with these, you know, your family members, right? The ones who are the most important to you. So, you know, that's what I think about, you know, Thanksgiving. And then Christmas time for me is, is really important because then I get to see my mom and my brother and my, my other family members that live in Canada. So for me, that, that tends to be the more exciting season because we pack up the bags and we go see grandma um, in Canada. But, you know, this year will be bittersweet as it was last year. But man, I am so grateful for the two little people in my life and my husband, Sean, who has been my rock. Beautifully said, Janice. And because you are also senior meteorologist at Fox, I will encourage people as they're planning their Thanksgiving weekend travels, check out the Fox weather app. Not necessarily for Thanksgiving Day itself, but the key is often Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, where people are actually on the road. And you want to know stuff about what the weather is going to look like in your neck of the woods. The Fox Weather app is a great spot to start, and it's uh, off to a roaring start. And I know, Janice, you've been a big part of promoting that new feature that we have here at Fox. Janice, it means a lot that you spent some time with us here today. I know that uh, this is something that perhaps they tried to slip in right before a holiday, maybe not to get very much noticed, but we noticed it, and we're glad that you had some time to join us to talk about it, and we wish you and yours a very, very happy and special and reflective and gratitude-filled Thanksgiving. Thank you, my friend, and I appreciate you because you really have been uh, such a good friend through all of this. And thank you to the listeners for following the story and being so supportive. I feel your prayers. Yeah. And that is a, and that is an expression of thanks that I will absolutely echo to this audience. And with that, Janice Dean, thank you very much. Have a great Thanksgiving. The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour continues right after this. The Guy Benson Show. More next. I know liberals think this country is full of dumb white people, but in our democracy, dumb white people make up a substantial portion of the vote. (laughs) The median voter is a white person in their 50s who didn't go to college. Their favorite TV show is NCIS. And their pronouns are what? I don't know what the f*** you're talking about. And get away from it. Happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. I don't know what you're talking about. Get away from me. Bill Maher... On Friday night with another lecture for the woke left because he's more of a traditional liberal. We've played a lot of him in recent months who is sick of seeing what's happening on the hard left wing of his ideological movement, his political party. He thinks it's damaging to Democrats. Of course, he's right. And he's using his platform basically every week to call it out and effectively beg the Democrats for a course correction. Stop listening to these young activist woke people and deal with actual voters and their concerns. Stop demonizing them. Stop alienating people. I think the Democrats keep ignoring him, which is probably good news for Republicans, but he's out there fighting the good fight against the excesses of wokery. And I'm just still surprised how often we end up applauding Bill Maher on this show. But he's telling them hard truths, right? Truth to power. They always talk about that. Bill Maher 
week in and week out is taking a wrecking ball to this stuff. And I'm sure it makes some of his audience very uncomfortable. He went on and cut 18, same segment to say this. What word would you like us to use for the plainly insane excesses of the left that are not liberalism, but something completely different? Because you can't have that word liberal from us and think it should cover things like canceling Lincoln and teaching third graders their oppressors. That's all your new thing. A more pertinent question to ask about the word woke might be, why in such a short time has it gone from a rallying cry to a pejorative? If the word only made you think of rational, deserved causes like teaching a less whitewashed version of American history, AOC would still want to own it. But it's a joke. Because it makes you think of people who wake up offended and take orders from Twitter and their oversensitivity has grown tiresome. Oh, yeah. Preach. It's not just grown tiresome. It grew tiresome a long time ago. And what he's referencing there is something that we discussed here during a previous installment of Woke Tales, which is that the Wokesters who used the term woke and embraced it then turned on it because it was no longer useful to them. And it was, as he says, suddenly a pejorative. So they start lecturing the rest of us and tisk tisking. Oh, no, we don't use that anymore. You can't use that anymore. The language police have now ruled out one of the elements of their vocabulary that they brought to the fore. So he really went after AOC in particular, who's sort of like the chief mean girl in all of this. That's good stuff from Bill Maher. We want to bring it to you here on The Guy Benson Show. The happy hour resumes after this break. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Back here on The Guy Benson Show, earlier in the program today, we spoke with Matt Finn national correspondent here at Fox News. He's on the ground in Waukesha, Wisconsin, the site of that horrible massacre at a Christmas parade yesterday. We had multiple press conferences today from the Children's Hospital, from law enforcement authorities. Matt has been covering all of it. Here is part of what we discussed with his observations and reporting on the ground. On the ground in Waukesha is Matt Finn, Fox News national correspondent. And Matt, what an awful story to be covering, especially on a week like this ahead of Thanksgiving. What can you tell us and what did we glean from the press conference today with officials? Well, Guy, sadly, police have identified the five people killed. Uh, They age and range from 52 to 81 years old, four of them women. So imagine your grandmother, your mother, your aunt, you know, bringing in the holiday season uh, as part of a parade. Uh, There was a group of dancing grannies, as they're called, and now some of them are dead. And just days before Thanksgiving, there are families here right now that are probably praying and pleading that their child survives, pulled out of the critical condition. And just to set the scene for you, Waukesha, Wisconsin is a charming beautiful downtown, Main Street, USA, little shops and cafes, well manicured. A lot of the windows are prepared for the holidays and Christmas. It's hard to wrap your mind around what just happened here. And I was walking uh, up the exact parade route on Main Street, and some of the sidewalks are still stained 
red. And police have now identified who they say was the alleged driver uh, who plowed through the Waukesha Christmas Parade, 39-year-old Daryl E. Brooks. Uh, he has a lengthy, extensive criminal history that we're still reading through uh, and pouring through. Uh, they say he was the alleged driver and was just released, posted $1,000 bail last Friday on charges that he in part intentionally ran over the mother of his child with his vehicle. Police records read in part that officers observed swelling to her lip and dry blood on her face and tire tracks on her left pants leg. And that just raises so many questions about why uh, a man who is seemingly a dangerous criminal, a convicted criminal, was released on such a light bond guy. And who had just used, allegedly, his car to attack someone else. And that's not the first attack. It, as you reference, is one of many over the course of 22 years, a career criminal, really, dating back to 1999, a number of uh, violent assaults. He's a registered sex offender in another state. I mean, this is a shockingly dangerous person who was released on $1,000 bail. For that entire segment, you can log on to GuyBensonShow.com, that interview and more. GuyBensonShow.com, one-stop shop for the entire podcast as well, free of charge each and every day on demand. GuyBensonShow.com. When we come back, the home stretch, an update to producer Christine's quote-unquote Thanksgiving feast that she's hosting. Some people are pulling the plug and walking out. They're not going to show up. I think they have good reason to do so. We'll get into that next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Homestretch. It's the Guy Benson Show. Quick shout out here. I just want to mention the Northwestern University Wildcats women's field hockey team national champions. First time ever in program history. They beat Harvard in sudden death overtime on Friday to get to the championship game and then shut out Liberty 2-0 yesterday to win it all. And they returned from Ann Arbor, which is where the tournament was being played, the Final Four. Came down from Michigan, back on campus late last night in a big crowd. Lots of people waiting for them. Pep band, the whole thing. Very cool to see. Congratulations, ladies. Definitely a better performance than we saw from the football team this past weekend. I was at the game at Wrigley Field. Great event, great venue, a lot of fun. The team is just bad this year. That's all I'll say about that because it's technically the happy hour. I don't want to get worked up. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcasts always free. Let's shift to Thanksgiving as it is Thanksgiving week. And as I will tell basically anyone, like random strangers on the street, do you know Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday? I can't get enough. So if I'm not doing a lot of Thanksgiving-related topics this week, then shame on me. And we had this dispute. I actually got quite a few responses to this, where producer Christine and I got into it because last week she announced that she's not cooking a turkey. They are not offering turkey at their Thanksgiving feast. Much to the chagrin of her daughter, sweet, sweet Megan, who, of course, is correct about this. They're doing, what is it, prime rib or pot roast or something. Not turkey is the point. And they claimed, producer Christine claimed, that she had run this past all of her guests 
And they were all in agreement, except for her daughter. They were all like, yeah, great, no problem, except it seems like your guest list mysteriously has been shrinking, producer Christine. I wonder if there were some secret turkey fans who just want to have an American Thanksgiving and recognize that you were giving them a communist Thanksgiving and decided to make alternative plans. Okay, first of all, it's not pot roast we're making. We're making a beautiful, beautiful prime rib. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's not turkey on Thanksgiving, that's all I need to know. We have had a couple drop out of our beautiful prime rib Thanksgiving feast. It's not a Thanksgiving feast. It it sure is. It sure is. We're doing all the fixings. You want a creamed corn casserole? You got it. You want some canned cranberry ocean spray? You got it. Oh, we're going to get to that. You want? Go on. We're doing a version of green bean casserole, but it's cold, not hot. Ew. No, 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 no. It's it's good. It's good. It'll be good. I I don't think so. That I mean it has to be baked in the oven with the little crunchy onions on top with the uh Campbell's soup, right? The uh, the mushroom soup. That's what it has to be. Well, good luck trying to find the crunchies cuz uh Bobby and I went food shopping yesterday and uh, a couple stores we went to were out of them. But let me just Quiet tell- Wyatt found it. Quiet Wyatt, of course. I mean anyone is more dedicated apparently to a Thanksgiving meal than you are. Right, so it's a very low bar because you're like, oh, turkey? Nah, this thing, no, we, we can't find it in this one shelf. We won't even ask for help. It's unavailable. No wonder people are dropping like flies out of this event. They're going to be giving thanks that they're not stuck at your house having a non-Thanksgiving meal on Thanksgiving. That's what they're going to be most thankful for this year. I also have to tell you something. Uh, Bobby and I have decided over the weekend we will not be serving mashed or whipped potatoes. What? We will be doing Hasselback potatoes. What is that? It's where you cut them very thin and you kind of bake it where they're still sliced. I'll show you. It's it's delicious. We're kind of no, making but- it like a modern, super trendy because I feel I'm trendy. So I figured we're You're doing, not I, kind of a little bit. Um, we're kind of doing like monitoring modern. I don't know how to say the word. We're making it modern. Now, the problem is. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the problem is we have had a couple drop out, uh, quote unquote, due to still the concern of COVID, which oh, they're yeah. fully vaccinated. I'm I'm a little surprised. No, and they accepted the invitation. All of a sudden there's no turkey. They're like, oh, you know, <clears throat> I don't know. We're a little worried. Maybe see you next year. And they're going to go get some turkey. Have you told anyone that you're not doing mashed potatoes? Have you dropped that bomb on people yet? No, and we have not explain to anybody about the cold green bean casserole yeah what even is that it's who wants that is it is it basically what you typically do just you don't heat it up no no it's more like a um like a a a cold salad kind of thing and then also uh my husband and i watched trisha yearwood and dr jill biden's thanksgiving and now we're going to be doing dr jill biden's um italian stuffing so we're excited about that yeah if there's one place i look for advice in life it's the biden family so it sounds like you're making a bunch of great decisions here you're like the hunter you're the hunter biden of thanksgiving (laughs) We feel confident about this. I can't believe Bobby's you sh- you actually. Shouldn't. Bobby's on. You're going to call it. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have people weeping, gnashing of teeth, angry that they don't have turkey and mashed potatoes, and you're going to call this an extraordinary success. That's what you're going to do. You're de- going to declare it in a speech an extraordinary success. 
while people are all like going door to door in your neighborhood on Eyesore Lane begging for mashed potatoes. I cannot believe that you have pulled the plug on mashed potatoes in addition to gravy. It's official. This is not a Thanksgiving feast. There's no turkey. There's no mashed potatoes. I think you need to tell these guests and maybe they can bring some of their own. Like I would like BYOT, BYOP. I would bring my own stuff knowing that I wasn't going to have it at this so-called Thanksgiving disgrace. So at least they can prepare for the disappointment. I know you don't want you, you. I know you probably don't want to lose even more people, but you have to be transparent with folks. No, I'm not. I'm not because I, I, this dinner has already, you know, gone down. Do they listen to the show? Well, I, I, yes, they do. And also, um, I like a nice, you know, big table of people. So, uh, they will love, I promise you, Bobby is an excellent cook. They will love everything we're putting out there. They're going to get casseroles, going to have the cranberry, I mean, yeah, a cold casserole and then a gelatin cranberry sauce, it's the best. which is at least defensible. I like – we do a homemade, which is really good, and it's this nice and tart and cold and delicious and fresh. It really pops. It also looks amazing on the plate. I'm okay with also having the, you know, cut it with a knife cranberry quote-unquote sauce. From Ocean Spray, I say offer both, just like I like having the homemade gravy and the Heinz canned gravy. I like both of those things. And I would also be fine if you're going to do your, you know, pot roast related activity or whatever, plus turkey or your whatever you're calling them, potatoes, plus mashed potatoes. Give the people options. What you can't do and get away with it with a happy table filled with people, which is already dwindling because of some of these decisions is have people show up thinking that they're getting a Thanksgiving dinner and then giving them beef and not mashed potatoes and cold green bean salad casserole. I go to Denny's. I would leave and I go to Denny's. You would not leave if I invited you. Well, first of all, you would never join if I invited you to my family Thanksgiving. I mean, who would know? You've never invited me to your house, period. So that's a total (laughs) hypothetical. But I think, and Dan, you know, you're, Dan's over here looking judgy at me Good. as well. And I. The whole you, country, this is radio, but I wish people could just send in selfies of themselves, disgusted and angry. Dan, would as you. As they should be. Dan, would you leave my Thanksgiving if you showed up for prime rib? When I go to a Thanksgiving dinner, I kind of expect Thanksgiving dinner. So I'm, uh-huh. I'm kind of like with Guy in this one. I need turkey. I need I need all the things. I, I don't know. Okay, Wyatt, would you leave my Thanksgiving feast if you showed up and you had prime rib? So Wyatt is away from the microphone right now, but I can see him. He's listening to this on the other side of the glass, and he is shaking his head violently. He is a hard no on this. He would not show up. What are you saying? Are you white? Why are you saying you would leave if you? Yes. He yes. Would he's not saying yes. Leave. He, he would leave and would not show up in the first place, especially I'm just extrapolating on this new information that you're not only denying your guests turkey, but also mashed potatoes. This is like, no, no, no. why we, don't you just add some borscht and some goulash and make it a full blown Kremlin, quote unquote, Thanksgiving? Do you want to know what I am going to have? A turkey shaped charcuterie. It's literally going to, the whole charcuterie is going to look like a turkey. I'm going to send you pictures. It's going to be festive. It's going to be nice. 
Everybody's going to be happy. And if anybody of my family that's listening now contemplating not showing up, you better be there, okay? Don't make me go Jersey. You all know what happened to Carousel, the former pony. Maybe she's serving Carousel. Certainly not serving turkey or mashed potatoes. I think if you're listening, this is like a public service announcement directed at approximately 10 people in the whole world. If you have gotten looped into and suckered into accepting this invitation for quote-unquote Thanksgiving at Cookie's house, bring your own turkey, bring your own mashed potatoes, because otherwise you're not getting that. You're just getting a random dinner that could be served in April. That's what this is going to be. I'll tell you what, at our house, we have turkey, we have mashed potatoes, we have gravy, we have both kinds of cranberry sauce, we have hot green bean casserole, we have homemade pumpkin pie, apple pie, you know, America. Oh. Thanksgiving. That's what we're doing. Hold on. I forgot to tell you, the couple that was coming was supposed to be making the apple and the uh, pumpkin pie, so now we don't have that either. Yeah, I mean, they sound like traditionalists. These sounds like people of taste. Tell them they're invited to our house, and all of a sudden, I think perhaps their COVID concerns will go away. I will say this. Our dinner table has also now been diminished in terms of the number of people showing up because my in-laws can no longer come. My father-in-law tested positive for COVID yesterday, which is such a huge bummer. He's feeling good. He said he's at about 85 percent, but obviously he's not going to be traveling while COVID positive. And my mother-in-law is completely fine. She has no symptoms. She has not tested positive, but the virus can always incubate and then manifest. And you don't want to be on the road for any of that. So they are rightly staying home. But that's such a bummer. We were really looking forward to having them. And now we are going to do quick rapid tests on the rest of the family just to make sure we're all in the clear, just to be safe. And I'm bummed, A, because I like spending time with them, and B, I like having a bigger number of people and have like a festive event and not just a a small number of people. I like it to be involved and, and all of that stuff, and it's just not meant to be this year. But our dropouts have a very good excuse actual COVID as opposed to a fake COVID concern rooted in fully justified and righteous disappointment over the menu options at Cookie's house. That is my my take on it. And I think that we've belabored it. We've berated you enough. And I know Christine's going to come back next Monday and she's going to pretend that everything was great. Oh, everyone was raving and raving about it. I want the Yelp reviews. I want anonymous Yelp reviews, and they can do it without attaching their name to it. Like, you know, uh, someone anonymous like Judgy J would post on Yelp that she was very disappointed in Chrissy for X number of reasons. And who knows who that person would actually be. But I think it's important for them to have an opportunity to really share how they feel without fear of retribution, you know, getting kneecapped or, or carouseled. Tears. I'm crying right now. You, I'm telling you, come to my house for dinner. It's going to be fabulous. I can't wait to explain everything next week. Um, but if you are looking for turkey, mashed potatoes, hot green bean casserole, mm-hmm. pumpkin pie or apple pie, um, you should look elsewhere. Yeah. So basically, if you want Thanksgiving, go somewhere else. Absolutely ridiculous. Oh, I've got a fun plan. Tomorrow night, we'll talk about it on the show in the home stretch. 
tomorrow. Wait till you hear this, where we're going to be going tomorrow evening. That's on the Tuesday edition of The Guy Benson Show here in Thanksgiving week. Maybe look up that holiday, Christine, the Pilgrims. And it's, I don't want to have any spoilers here, but yeah, I think maybe a, a reboot is necessary for you. In the meantime, everyone else, travel safe if you're heading out for Thanksgiving. And we'll be right back here tomorrow, same time, same place, for The Guy Benson Show. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.